Shannon Tipton here, and today we hosted a Learning Rebels Live with J.D. Dillon, CLO of Exonify. I had been looking forward to this conversation about J.D.'s new book, The Modern Learning Ecosystem, and he did not disappoint. It's always so much fun having a discussion with J.D. Now, if you've ever wondered what the bleep is a learning ecosystem and why it's important for your organizations to have one, I urge you to put on your back to the future ears and hang on for a fun ride. So without further ado, let's get to it. Well, I wonder what we're doing here today. Could it be about the modern learning ecosystem with JD very discreetly? plugging his book, perhaps. (laughs) Welcome, everyone. I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, and I'm here with Learning Rebels Live, and we are talking to J.D. Dillon. Hi, J.D. The, let's see, let me get this straight, extreme back to the future aficionado and lifelong Philadelphia Flyers fan. Now, this is where I have to plug the Blackhawks, obviously. We can do a throwdown on that a little bit later. Disney cast member and CLO for Exonify. And so tell me, JD, what is your moment within Back to the Future that makes you the extreme aficionado? I can do all the words. So, hi, everybody. <laughs> How you doing? Thanks for having me, Shannon. But I can recite all of the lines from Back to the Future. I've seen it and I've been able to do that for 25 years. So I've seen it hundreds of times. It's the one movie that's always on my iPad. So worst comes to worst, I watch Back to the Future. And if I could pan the camera, there's a wall of my office that is just Back to the Future stuff. So posters, (laughs) fan arts, just Back to the Future stuff. And in the background, which you can't really see, there's also, what if Shakespeare wrote Back to the Future? I have no way, really. Book that's Back to the Future, but in Shakespearean language. So, Back to the Future is the perfect movie. Come at me if you want to disagree. Oh my gosh, I do not want to disagree. I love that movie too, and all of its iterations. It is. It's the perfect movie. And just and to go straight to the book, Shan. Let's just go straight to go like, straight to the book. You, so go this, straight to the book. This isn't even a page number where I'm when I'm referring to. It's VII. Literally the first page of written text. There's a that clock sitting there. For anyone who's a oh, Back yeah. to the Future fan, I'm making a joke with the clock in the book on the first page to get a sense of what this book is like. The reason is here BTS knowledge. Uh, it's 10:04 on the clock because 10:04 is the time the lightning strikes the clock tower in Back to the Future and sends Marty back to the future at the end of the movie. So oh there are an inordinate amount of Back to the Future references in my book. <laughs> now I've got to go back and read it again and see what I can pick out now that I know that. Yep, Batman, so Wiley Coyote, and Back to the Future references all day. <laughs> challenge accepted. And so why don't you go ahead and tell us outside of all of that, give us a little bit of background about you that we might be interested in knowing. I've known JD now for for a while. We've done the conference circuit for a number of years and it's always been 
really interesting because you just never know what JD is going to say. So I, with a certain amount of apprehension, but really not so much, turn it over to you so you can introduce yourself. Well, I was talking to someone yesterday about the kind of concept of finding your thing, right? Like what's what's your thing in terms of what you do professionally or what people look to you for, people come to you with questions. And someone said to me that recently because of the conversation around the book and whatnot, someone came to them and asked, what's JD's thing? And their reply was being JD, which I found <laughs> both concerning and very fun. Long and short of my career, I spent half my time in corporate operations and half my time in learning and development over the past 20 years. Spent about 10 years with Walt Disney Company. I live in Orlando, Florida, right behind the Magic Kingdom. I can hear the park from where I'm sitting right now. So if anyone's saying, where is he and how close is he to Disney? I'm that close. But spent some time in movie theaters, some time in higher education and contact centers before moving over to the technology side of the equation within learning and development. And now work with Exonify, where I primarily focus. My entire career has really been focused, but especially my time with Exonify for the last seven years has been focused on enabling frontline workers. So I spent a lot of time talking about learning, enablement, communication, and employee experience around spaces like retail and grocery and manufacturing and restaurants and, and whatnot. So that's if you kind of ask, what's JD's thing? Uh, it's really enabling frontline workers is my area of mm -hmm. focus. And that's the passion, isn't it? You know, helping people be better than they were yesterday because nobody comes to work, nobody goes to work with the intention to suck. Everyone wants to do their best, right? Even if people who are not necessarily in this job because it's their career path, maybe they're here just because they need to make some money to take care of themselves and their family. And that's perfectly mm -hmm. fine, right? I believe based on having been a frontline employee and manager of frontline employees, and then learning and development and support of frontline employees in a variety of different types of businesses. Everyone wants to do a good job, right? Everyone mm -hmm. wants to be proud of what they did. They just need the help to be able to do that, especially in challenging circumstances or with limited experience, limited staffing, challenging customers, right? All of, all of the intricacies and complexities that come with the unique experience of working as a frontline employee. And I think, unfortunately, in learning and development, that audience doesn't get a lot of attention when it right. comes to kind of every part of the conversation. You don't see a lot of conference sessions or articles or whatnot about frontline workers and the unique nature of what it takes to support that audience as compared to the conversations around us, right? Remote workers, right? How many articles <laughs> have you read recently about if remote work is or is not still a thing and all of those, right? We talk about certain things over right. and over and over again, but it's a very different world when you work as a delivery driver or uh, you know, yes. during a holiday season yes. right? or a seasonal worker in a retail store. So uh, that's where I spend the bulk of my time. And if I, if I were to write a second book, that's probably what I'd want to do is dig into that side of the employee experience mm -hmm. uh, more concertedly. Right. And myself as a person who grew up almost within the restaurant industry, that's my background. So I went, you know, hostess, waitress, et cetera, all the way until, you know, I decided to make training, learning and development, the, the direction of my career. I completely agree with what you've just said. You know, it's people struggling for help and how can we do that? Which leads me to the question about the book that I know a lot of people might have at the top of their heads, which is what the bleep? is a learning ecosystem. All what is that anyway? Everyone, they're <laughs> clamoring, knocking on the door, wondering. But <laughs> the way I look at it, because a lot of people, I think, attach the term learning ecosystem to specifically a technology conversation, and I don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. For example, in my book, there's one chapter 
about technology. The book itself mm-hmm. is not about technology. It's, it's more about mindset and the idea that every organization has a learning ecosystem made up of all of the tools, tactics, technologies, processes that help people do their job. Some of that is under the purview of learning and development and HR. A lot of it isn't. So we're talking about the company intranet, management philosophies, right? Everything that impacts a person's ability to do their job. So the idea behind the book is we need to think more broadly about how we enable that ecosystem as learning and development, get outside the four walls, you know, the box that we control and can wrap our arms around and say, well, how do we more meaningfully create the the circumstances, the infrastructure, the tools that people need so they can solve today's biggest problems while also developing the skills they're going to need to be successful in the future. So that's kind of the, Mm -hmm. the shorthand pitch for the concept of the book. And I love it. But here's my question is when we think about an ecosystem, we think about components supporting other components. So if you think about an, a nature you know, ecosystem, if something fails within that ecosystem, the ecosystem itself is on a cliff and maybe close to failing totally itself. So when we think about a learning ecosystem, how does that analogy work? Is there something within that ecosystem that's going to make you say, well, if you didn't have this, then your learning strategy itself or your, your learning culture may be on the cliff of falling off and failing. Cliff is Where, a great where's word. that? Great word to, to segue with because uh, it's a wily coyote story. So if you're wondering, why do I say this is a different kind of book? Because there's a two and a half page rant in this book about wily coyote. I don't mention it by name. I just call him a coyote that's owned by Warner Brothers. You know, just the whole gist of that story is that I see Wiley Coyote is the perfect kind of stand in for learning and development in that we're constantly in chase mode. The next demand, the next stakeholder request, the next product change or process update, compliance requirement, whatever that is, we're constantly chasing. And we're throwing the coolest toys we've got at the problem, right? We went <laughs> the to shiniest Acme, thing. We got all the stuff. We've strapped a rocket to our back, and we're going to try to get to the goal. But what happens at the end of every Wiley e. Coyote cartoon? He ends up at the bottom of a cliff with the anvil on his head because circumstances around this change, right? You may have designed a program. It feels great. You've got executive buy-in. The world is perfect. And then right before you implement, everyone's had this experience. I've had it as well. Uh, Something changes in the ecosystem and suddenly it's not the greatest plan anymore. You don't have the buy-in you need. Circumstances shifted, attention shifted, and we have a hard time moving in synchronization with an unpredictable workplace. So the idea is that instead of doing the coyote thing and using cool toys and constantly chasing the roadrunner, how do we take a step back and say, What's really the problem he's trying to, he doesn't want to catch the roadrunner per se. He's looking for dinner, right? Hungry coyote, mm-hmm. roadrunner. I want to eat the roadrunner, whether you like it or not. So mm-hmm. how could he solve that problem differently with a different mindset and applying his skills differently? And the thing I always come back to is that if you've seen many coyote cartoons, in several instances, the coyote does this thing where he goes up to like a cliff wall and he mm-hmm. paints on the wall. Right. And it look like a tunnel. And he's like, ha ha, the roadrunner is going to slam head first and get knocked out <laughs> when he runs into the not there tunnel. What happens? The roadrunner runs through the tunnel. Right. And then he's like, mm-hmm. what the heck? It's a tunnel. And then he goes to chase him and a semi truck comes the other way and knocks right. him out <laughs> and it's over. And my point is, 
the coyote can paint tunnels that turn into real tunnels. So what if instead of chasing the roadrunner, he took that particular skill, applied it in a different way, signed some great government contracts so that he can create a tunnel network, gets paid for that, and just buys dinner. It's a ridiculous story, but the idea is that we can take, look at what we're trying to accomplish as learning and development differently, apply our skills in a different way to create a scalable, sustainable ecosystem and strategy that allows us to keep pace with the changing nature of work instead of constantly being in chase mode and ending up at the bottom of a cliff with an anvil on your head. <laughs> Which I'm sure we've all we've all been there. And as you're as you're saying this story, first off, I have visions of myself as a child sitting in front of the television. Which back in those days, you know, you had the three channels, and one of those channels, Saturday morning cartoons, that all started at some ungodly hour in the morning, and that was one of the ones that I always liked to watch. But I love the I love the analogy of here's the aha. The aha is not that. The truck came in and squashed him. The aha is, wait, he painted a tunnel that works. Wait a second. Can we can we reverse mode into that moment? And there's something to be said about L&D taking tools that they currently have in their toolbox and using them and revisualizing them in completely different ways to build their own tools. And so that leads me to this next question that I had, which was, a why this, why now type of question. When you think about this book and you put this book together wonderfully, was there a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal <laughs> moment that made you go, you know what? I've been sitting on this and you have been sitting on this theory for a long time. So what was that moment that made you say, all right, I'm finally going to put pen to paper? Uh, it was pivotal and pivotal. Both <laughs> the... Um, Realist, there's kind of two of those. So I, I say, I shot a video and dropped it on YouTube the day the book came out last week on the 29th, just kind of expressing my perspective on the experience of writing a book. And I, I made a comment that I've been writing the book for 10 years because realistically, I've written a ton of other, generated a lot of other content and those stories and practices and whatnot come together for the first time in one place in the book. But the two moments that really generate the book are... I was delivering a session at an ATD event and Elaine Beek walked into the back of the room and I didn't, I knew of Elaine, but I had not met Elaine to that point. And at the end of my session, Elaine marches right up to me and points at me and says, you need to write a book about that. <laughs> Hi, Elaine Beek. Okay. So the presentation- Elaine says it, it must be so. I was delivering a session called the Modern Learning Ecosystem. So the kind of framework that's at the heart of the book was what I was explaining when she walked into the room. So there was that kind of motivational moment where someone who's written 88 books in the profession says, that's a book idea. You have to listen to that. Then the Mm -hmm. second moment, because after that moment, I should have written a book and I didn't right away because I have a job and all their things to do. And I already, like I said, generate a lot of content. I do a lot of writing for Exonify, for, for different publications. I host a live stream on LinkedIn as well. So there's a lot of things going on. So finding more creative time can be difficult. So I had on and off conversations with ATD about different topics and writing a potential book. And then I was in heading in the direction, then 2020 happened. And in the middle of 2020, I had to have a reflective moment to say, okay, so I, I talk about a lot of things and I apply this framework and this perspective to the work that I do. Does that make sense now? So if I 
Put pen to paper mm-hmm. right now as the world is meaningfully changing and the nature of work is shifting. Am I still relevant or am I telling an old story in a new world? And it just doesn't make sense because it's not going to help anybody if it doesn't match up. So what I, I went on a bit of a listening tour and talked to different people in L&D and HR in different industries, different regions. And what I started to uncover was that it seemed like their strategies, because they were being forced to deal with radical, unexpected change, was actually shifting closer to the story that I was getting ready to tell versus further away. And then it Mm -hmm. dawned on me that most of this story starts in significant periods of change for me, not nearly what we've all faced for the last couple of years, but in the beginning of the book, because the book wraps very much around the narrative of my career development. So how did I solve different problems, come across these different concepts and find the framework that the book is based on? And then I realized, well, the story begins during significant periods of upheaval in my professional career, moving from job to job, facing a considerable layoff in that new job, being challenged to do things differently, not being able to create an e-learning module to solve every problem. So I was kind of facing my own version of meaningful disruption when I had to come up with the ideas that form the basis of the book. And then you fast forward several years later, and it seemed like people were going through similar, but very Mm -hmm. different experiences in that regard. So that's when I realized, oh, this might actually be timely and helpful. Mm -hmm. And that's when I went hard into the book. And here we are today. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And when I think back towards the beginning of the pandemic and we were all struggling to figure out what does the new quote unquote, what does the new world look like? What's it going to mean for working in general, much less L and D specifically So what's that path? What's it going to look like? And how do we approach that path? And I can appreciate that the messages that you're sharing within the book are absolutely transferable. They're like that little black dress, right? It's always in fashion, always in style. You can wear it every single day with a bunch of different things and it can work for you. And this is what I appreciate about the point of view that you took here. It's not making it something that fits in this particular point in history. It's going to have legs when you take it beyond this point of history, once the dust starts to settle, because I really don't believe that this is a new normal, because normal would indicate what we were doing before was okay. A new normal would say, well, we're just doing what we did back then in a different way and making it something new and fresh. But that's not true. There's a different path that I think that we are all on. And this book can help take people through that path. You can find, if you go to the book website, which is equally ridiculous, it's jdwroteabook.com. I uploaded several of the promotional materials as well as some auxiliary material related to the book to the site, Uh, links to buy the book. It's all at jdwroteabook.com. But one of the videos that I shot and released on YouTube to promote the book in the weeks leading up to the release was a, a riff on pitch meetings. <laughs> Highly recommend you go to YouTube and search pitch meeting to see the real hilarious version a comedian in Toronto actually performs regularly uh, on YouTube. But in the pitch meeting where I'm pitching the book idea to the publisher, I'm talking to myself. I'm playing the author and the publisher, all fake mm-hmm. characters, but explaining what the book's about by kind of having this comedic back and forth. At one point I say, as the publisher character, I say, it sounds like a radically new idea. And my author persona replies, actually, this isn't a new idea at all. Because the concept is that 
a lot of this is familiar, right? You're not going to be shocked when I talk about performance support is important. Hot take, right? The idea <laughs> in the book and what seems to resonate when I have conversations about this content over the last several years at this point is that it's bringing these different disparate tactics and tools together in a way that shapes a cohesive decision-making framework. So instead of social learning being a thing and performance supports a thing and reinforcement and micro learning are different things. No, how do all of these things come together to mm -hmm. help us build an infrastructure that can help people keep pace with the inevitable change that happens in the workplace? So a lot of familiar ideas, hopefully a lot of people reading the book sit there and go, yeah, we do these things. Mm -hmm. It's not about doing all new things. Maybe there's a couple things you don't do today. Reinforcement tends to be a dramatically missing layer within organizations learning strategies. But how do you maybe plug the gaps with certain new tactics, but then just rethink how you apply tactics? So courses don't go away. They just get used less when they're the mm -hmm. right solution in favor mm -hmm. of other solutions that are more readily available in the flow of work. All the buzzwords, mm -hmm. Shannon, right. all the buzzwords. All the buzzwords. Where's right. your bingo card? But hopefully they're more <laughs> practical and Does useful. it come with a bingo card? It should. Uh, no, but you can get, Shannon, there are collectible bookmarks for the book. <laughs> How do you get them? You got to run into me, basically, because I'm not going to mail you a bookmark. You know, at events, anytime you see me speaking, you want a collectible bookmark, I should have some of those available. Uh, will there be merch? I don't know. Maybe. Let's see. How into Let's this do I get? <laughs> the suspense is killing me. The suspense is killing me. But out of all of the things that you're talking about here in this book, and we want people, we want people to buy the book, not only just to, yeah, buy the book. But it's just such a good thing to have on your shelf as key reminders about what we could be doing, what we should be doing, what we can plan to be doing. What is the one thing? What can somebody, let's assume they don't buy the book. They're just listening to this and they're like motivated to do something different. So in your opinion, what is the, what's the one thing that an L&D person could do today to start their journey that's going to, one, lead to the book, but lead to their own ecosystem? I'm becoming more and more a fan of the chapter in the book that's about influence. Which chapter is that, he said? Which chapter is that? That is chapter 13. Might be my favorite chapter right now. Because in the book, if you buy into the ideas and you think knowledge sharing should be the foundation of workplace learning and frontline managers are the most important people in the learning ecosystem and all these different ideas that I share and, and practices and tactics and whatnot, the reality is none of it matters if you don't have the appropriate mindset shift taking place across your organization. And it's not just about executive buy-in, but that's important too. I mentioned frontline managers being the most important part of the equation. So if they don't believe that this is what learning and development can look like. If the employees you support don't believe, if your peers don't believe, none of the book matters. So I think it's the most important chapter for that reason, because we have to become more substantial influencers. And one of the things I'm doing in support of the book is I'm about to launch a Substack newsletter called Ecosystem, where I'm going to expand on themes and stories, right? Because the, the reality is the book is done. Mm -hmm. I can't add to this. So I needed another way to say, oh, I figured something new out or I have a new idea, a new story, or, oh, this was wrong because I don't expect this to be right forever. Right. Mm -hmm. So I needed an ability to keep going. And I'm going to try that with a, with a newsletter via Substack. I don't know where I was going with that 
The one thing that people could do, which was... Uh, I'm just plugging the newsletter to plug the newsletter. <laughs> Available at jdwroteabook.com. You can sub- <laughs> sign up for the free newsletter. I don't even I don't even know. But it comes back to the fact that learning to a lot of people looks like school, right? People right. either went to school and they think that's what the experience needs to feel like, the kind of industrialized version of education, or they went to a training that one time and they really mm-hmm. liked it, but that's what they're requesting now. So right. if we don't help everyone that we work with, I know I was going, uh, think differently about learning and development, we're going to be limited in our ability to innovate our practices. And where I was going with the newsletter is one of the pieces I'm writing for the newsletter right now is the fact that hot take, I don't think L&D wants a seat at the table because we constantly talk about that, right? See at the table, we need to be there to help. Right, 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 right. Honestly, I don't want to be at the table. I want to influence everyone else at the table to be doing that for me. And that I think is more challenging, but at the same time more achievable. Because what I talk about mm-hmm. in the influence chapter is how do we look at these different parties that we work with from subject matter experts, managers, executives, whatnot, think about what they feel is important, right? What their motivations are, how they relate to the work that we do. And then how do we start to shift the mindset so that people are open to trying out new ideas? So I would rather mm-hmm. have everyone at the table advocating on behalf of the value of effectively enabling employees than me at the table arguing with people who are revenue generating entities trying to say that no time for learning is important too. So that's the slightly different angle I come at from an influence perspective. So if I had to pick, you know, read one chapter, it would be the influencing chapter. And the good thing Mm -hmm. is that if you do pick up the book, currently 20% off, if you're watching right now, when we're doing this live, ATD is running a sale. So 20% off right now, ATD. So the cool thing is I think I wrote the book so that you can read it straight through. So if you read from front to back, you're following the narrative of my journey to figure out the book and the concepts in the book. Mm-hmm. You can also just skip and say, well, I just want to read the reinforcement chapter because I we don't really dig into reinforcement in our strategy. We're curious how that works. You can just skip to that and you don't miss anything. It makes more sense when you read the whole story just like any story, but you can jump around if there are specific areas that you're struggling with or ways you want to augment your strategy. Um, you can leverage those specific uh, moments as well. You know, I love that because that leads to the question that I was going to ask you, which was, you know, hashtag unpopular opinion, which is, as you say, the seat at the table. And I agree. It's not necessarily that I think that people or L&D professionals don't want the seat at the table. I think there's truth to that. I also think there's truth to a lot of L&D professionals just giving up the ghost because they think that they want that seat and can't achieve that seat. So they just back out and say, yeah, well, I don't have that seat, so I'm out. I believe that when we attack the mindset, that's the root, right? That's the root that we want to have grown strong. That mindset does start with us. The mindset of we're doing what we do, not only for the organization, but for the people within the organization, but also for ourselves, because you're not going to most likely not going to be at the job that you're currently sitting at right now forever. So you need to work on your own mindset. So that way you improve and you can take those new thoughts, belief systems, inner conversations to the new organizations that you go to or new gig that you end up working with. All said at the end of the day, 
my opinion has always been L&D is the advocate for the worker. That's our job role is to advocate for the worker, to help them be better. I, I so agree with what you're saying because it's, it's important and it's critical. So thank, thank you for <laughs> saying that out loud. Hashtag unpopular opinion. But I do think there's truth there. Along similar lines, there's like I mentioned, there's plenty of Batman references in the book. I'm sitting in a Batman chair right now, so it only felt appropriate. And one of the things I, I say is that yeah, we're not Batman in L&D by any means. We're not the hero of the story. It's our job to help build and prepare and take care of the hero who's out there mm -hmm. doing the work every day. So we're not right. Batman. We're Alfred in the we're story. Alfred. Um, we're the utility belt. Don't stretch the metaphor, Shannon. It's going to go way too far. <laughs> and then there's, for, for two other just kind of quick spicy moments, because I did try to write the book just like you're talking to me. So hopefully I tried to write the most fun book in learning and development. People can tell me if I got there, but I already showed you there's a back to the future joke on the first page. So I always try to balance <laughs> the silly fun factor with, you know, the insightful, meaningful, practical I can use these ideas factors. So hopefully I struck that balance effectively. But two other things I talk about are one, my considerable distaste for the word learner. That's in here. So you have to read the book to figure out why I don't like the word learner and what I suggest we do instead. But the other one, this one might be special to you, Shannon. You might've seen this around microlearning. There's a section mm -hmm. in one of the chapters about microlearning. And I, I said in here that, quote, all structured training should be microlearning. And then I follow that with, you probably reacted to that statement in one of three ways. One, you nodded your head in vigorous agreement because you're a micro-learning stan. Yeah, the kids are saying stan. <laughs> Two, uh, you verbally scoffed at my assertion because you don't think micro-learning is a real thing. Or three, you took a photo of the sentence to share on social media because you think I need to be called out for being a shill for big micro-learning. <laughs> I just love the fact that I wrote in all capital letters in this book, Big micro learning. <laughs> so ridiculous. But then I explain what I mean by all structured training should be micro learning. I, I do make a point, mm -hmm. I swear, when it comes to the common practices and principles, we can apply to everything we're doing to improve those tactics and whatnot. But uh, that gives you not just, an, again, another sense of what it's like to read this book. Hopefully it's a fun but meaningful read. I thought so. I thought it was really great. And I love the interplay with your personal stories in there. Because they really do, for a lot of L&D people, we did not come into this world saying, I want to be a training professional when I grow up. Nobody did that. Maybe some of you said you want to be teachers and then maybe that made the transition. But for the most part, we all started somewhere else. And the stories that you tell resonate with the stories that I experienced in my own life too and what brought me to this point in my career. So kudos to you. I think it is really fun. I love the analogies. I love the storytelling aspect that you put into it. But of course, that's you. You tell a good story and I can listen to your stories all day long. That said, we do have to bring this to a some sort of a logical conclusion. So I'm just going to tell people, find JD's book on Amazon. You can find it right now. And as he said, it's on sale on the ATD website. So you can find it there if you're listening live right now at td.org. You can find it there. You did say 20% off. Is that correct? 
this week, I think until the ninth is when until they're the ninth. A, a sale on all books, not just mine, but twenty uh, percent off right. at, at ATD. You also get it if you're a member of ATD, you get a discount there. But uh, yeah, it's generally available at every major book retailer that you can buy a book on the internet. Can't walk into a bookstore and get this. Can't buy it in an airport, but you can buy it on Walmart, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, like you said. I will say though. Depending on where you are in the world, getting a physical copy right now is a little bit challenging. As an example, if you're in Canada right now, you cannot buy the physical copy on Amazon. It's out of stock, but you can buy the digital version if the physical version is not available. So apologies if the vendor that you prefer is not currently in stock constantly. You know, hopefully it's a good problem. From that a, is a good problem to have. Is hopefully a good thing. We're but, running uh, out of books. It's a good yeah, problem. It's, it's a good problem to have. Definitely for sale at different vendors. And if you go to jdwroteabook.com, I have all of the links to all the vendors that are carrying the book. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, JD. I really do appreciate it. Taking this opportunity to really talk about what the learning ecosystem means to L&D professionals, to training professionals everywhere. And it's something that should be in your Batman utility belt, this book. Put it in there. It'll be, it'll be good for you. So. Once again, I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, and you can find future Learning Rebel events on learningrebels.com. Just go to the events page. You'll find everything that we do there. I hope to see you at a Learning Rebels event soon. So on that note, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now. Well, there you have it. The Modern Learning Ecosystem by J.D. Dillon. Did I tell you it was going to be fun? it was. This book is available on all the usual platforms and you can keep abreast of all of the updates at jdwroteabook.com. To find future Learning Rebels events, head on over to learningrebels.com and sign on up for the next coffee chat or learn something new session. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now.